I'm wondering today, uh, what does the Bible tell you? Does the Bible have something to tell you? Does the Bible have authority to tell you something? We have a Bible up front here. It's not a mere stage prop, is it? Every time in worship before I preach a message, we have Scripture read. Yes. This is our book, the church's book, the Bible. What does the Bible tell you? This is the last in a series of sermons on sensitive subjects this summer. And it's about the authority of the Bible today. I need to do a little Texas talk with you right now. Um, there's kind of sort of two camps when it comes to understanding the Bible today. In one camp, the first camp, it's the, the fundamentalist, and some people would call these the conservative element. There's a second camp, and it's, I'm going to call it ancient modern camp, and it's more liberal in interpreting the Bible. So back to the first camp, our fundamentalist friends. They would see the Bible as being inspired to the point of being inerrant. So you've seen the bumper sticker. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Have you seen that? Yeah, so that, no, okay, that's sort of, that's sort of a stance for the fundamentalist. That 2 Timothy passage would be a good passage for them to undergird that position I need to tell you that there's a certain security, a comfort, a surety in holding that position. You don't have to question. You can just say, the Bible said it. I believe it. That settles it. Many of us, many of you maybe have even begun there. I know I did. I'm, I'm no longer in that place when it comes to understanding what the Bible says. I'm in more the ancient modern, and I'll get into this because that's where I am, in more liberal camp. So... Please know I went to seminary and it didn't ruin me. I didn't lose my faith by going to seminary. It really helped open up the world of the Bible to me as I learned to read the Bible in its original languages, in Greek for the New Testament and Hebrew for the Old Testament. And I found that there were layers of meaning besides just what I had understood in my English uh, understanding. I learned about the historical critical method. I don't mean to make this a lecture today, but to try to see the Bible in its original context and what God was saying to that group of people living with the faith in, and then take that message to uh, today and apply it to our context today. So Mary, our wonderful administrative uh, assistant now, she's always asking about who is my neighbor? <laughs> Because in a biblical context, sometimes your neighbor was just a person who lived in the next little hut next to you in the village. But today we live in a global village. And we are interconnected in so many different ways. And we understand that what happens on the far side of the world affects us. And what we do here affects them. And, and even the environment is our neighbor today. So who is my neighbor? It's, it's that kind of historical critical understanding. I need to tell you also, not to make this a lecture, but the fundamentalist position is a fairly recent one. It really didn't exist before the Protestant Reformation of the 1500s. Martin Luther was trying to get the Bible into the ordinary people's hands in their, original, in their native language, and they were reading the Bible for the first time. Our Catholic friends had a response to that. They became reactionary, and they would say, okay, the Pope is infallible. 
And then the Protestants would react to that and they would say, okay, well, our Bible is infallible. And it became this kind of Bible wars. It didn't help for us to go through the Enlightenment period in the 1800s and the age of reason and the scientific method. And and then uh, those of the fundamentalist position would say, well, you can't question this. You're chipping away at authority here. And so we need to make the Bible even more fundamental to us. Do, do you read the Bible today? Do you, do you read the Bible? Some of you hopefully do. Um, if, if you do read the Bible, you will find out that it is really good at self-critique. You, you don't have to do that for yourself. The Bible already does it for you. Why? It's because the Bible comes out of a, a long faith tradition, out of a faith community. We had the faith community before we had the Bible. So people have been struggling with these words and God's word for us for a long time. We've been trying to decide what gets in and what gets out of the Bible for a long time. What got in is called the canon, and that just means it's the benchmark. It's, it's the standard for what is authoritative in our lives. Our Jewish friends understood that the Bible invites debate. Have you read Genesis there in the first couple of chapters of Genesis? There are two creation stories. Why two? It's such a great story, it couldn't be told just once. You couldn't capture everything, right? Uh, you read the Old Testament and you find uh, Jonah being sent to his worst enemies in Nineveh to go preach the, the, uh, a word there to those foreigners And then you read Ezra and Nehemiah and you see the Hebrew people trying to build the walls of Jerusalem to keep the foreigners out and to get rid of everything foreign. And and there's just this debate going on all the time in the Bible. In the church, we who follow Christ, uh, we read the Bible through the eyes of Christ, through His life and ministry, His death and His resurrection. And as we go there, we have four Gospels. Why four? You know, why, why it's, wouldn't one be enough? But it's sort of like we need quad, quadraphonic sound here to get all these points of view. The mystery of Jesus and his ministry is so wonderful. You can't do it just once. And I love in this passage from Matthew that Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, but I say to you, the, there's this debate going on even now that what is Jesus saying? How do we apply the word of scripture to us? Because he's always saying, go beyond fulfilling the law, go to fulfill what is loving. I believe God is still speaking through the Bible. And that's why these words were chosen to get in our holy book. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God who's revealed in the Bible. And it's been a long process. And uh, I was reading uh, John Wesley, uh, the one who's founded this Methodist movement, and even in the 1700s, he was including what books were included in the Bible. It was still going on even in his time. There was a lot left on the cutting room floor, all right? So our our Catholic friends, they have books that we Protestants don't have in our Old Testament, okay? They have an Old Testament apocrypha. There's a New Testament apocrypha. I pulled out my book this past week. Would you like to hear a story that didn't make it into the New Testament about Jesus? This comes from um, uh, what's called the account of Thomas the Israelite philosopher concerning the childhood of the Lord. So 
I won't, yes, I know, it's a long title. So I won't retell you the whole story, but this is the gist of the story. On a Sabbath, Jesus is a little boy. He's five years old, and there's a stream flowing, and he makes these pools of water. And um, then he, uh, he makes five clay sparrows there on the bank of the water. Um, somebody comes along and complains that he's doing work on the Sabbath. And Jesus, he sets the sparrows free, and those clay sparrows, they fly off. They take life. Woo, miracle story. And then someone else comes along um, and says about Jesus that he shouldn't have done that. And it's a little boy, and Jesus basically curses the little boy, and he withers. <laughs> I'm not making this up. Can you see why it didn't make it into the Bible here? Aren't, aren't you glad that there have been people for hundreds, thousands of years who have struggled with these words and said, God is speaking here, God is not speaking here. So we're going to include this and not that. I remember in seminary, there was a person who asked, what if we found another gospel today? Let's say along the Sea of Galilee that there was a cave and someone went in there and they found this uh, new gospel. Uh, gospel of Mary. Let's just say Gospel of Mary. huh? Would it be included as Scripture? I remember our seminary professor pausing for a long time and he said, it wouldn't instantly become part of our New Testament. It would have to be lived with, prayed over, discussed, preached about, lived in the church for a long time until it was confirmed by the faith community that God really was speaking through that gospel of Mary also. I like that. We have, we have a role in this of receiving what God is saying here. The Bible comes out of community and the Bible creates community. So we followers of Christ, we don't have to follow all of the dictates of the Old Testament. We don't do all of the food laws or all of the festivals and we can wear two different kinds of cloth at the same time. Okay, really, there's, we can eat shrimp. All right? There's just all kinds of stuff that we get to do because we've been freed up from that. However, we read the Old Testament to get the big arc to see how God has been speaking to God's people all down through history. And this is the message. Love God. <laughs> Love your neighbor. That's it. That's the theme. I started this whole series by reading from Isaiah, the first chapter, 17th verse. Here's another good theme for me is one way I read the Bible. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. I think God's bias is always towards the most vulnerable and that the community that reads this Bible, our eyes are on those people in our midst, how we treat those people. Sometimes we are those people, but how we treat those people, the most vulnerable, is the way that God looks at us. I do believe that Scripture is God-breathed, inspired, God-breathed. Every morning... I sit in my prayer chair and I take my Bible and I'm reading through the Psalms right now and I, I stop until, I read in, until there's something that stops me that's the verse for me for today. Bragging a little bit. Can you see I've worn off the cover? <laughs> Bible given to me by my grandparents a long time ago. 
Today it's in uh, Psalm 37 is where I was reading this morning. Verse 28. What I've been breathing all day long is, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake His saints. I need that for my sanity, just to breathe all through the day. What 2 Timothy says also is it's not just God breathed, but Scripture is good for teaching, for reproof, for correction. We give Bibles to third graders in this church. In about five or six weeks' time, that we'll be doing that again. Um, Annie Dillard has a wonderful story where she was given her Bible from, uh, from her church, and she said, do the people know what's in here? <laughs> Have they read this? This is dangerous stuff. Uh, we, we, should, we shouldn't be giving this out. Uh, it's a very challenging word to us sometimes, this Bible. The Bible comes out of community and it creates community. Today, I would challenge you to read the Bible as individuals. I, I looked it up online. There's all kinds of stuff. The Bible in 90 days. The Bible in 100 days. The Bible in one year. You can find... Uh, some of you are nodding. The, the, there's a Bible app, all kinds of Bible apps that you can do. I mean, you don't even have to look it up. It'll just prompt you every day uh, on your, your smartphone. Uh, I, I would challenge you to, to do that. Uh, Dr. Diana and Frank, uh, music people in our midst, remind me to sing in a choir <laughs> because even the songs that we had this morning, they're, they're God-breathed. The scripture is just being quoted all in our, our music. Get that deep in your heart that way. Uh, one of the best ways that you can read the Bible is in community. I really believe that, to not read the Bible with your blinders on, but to have these other people around you that can see things that you don't see. Uh, Disciple Bible study is one of those ways. And we have a little video now that, uh, from last year's class of, of some of those uh, testimonies. Thank you. Disciple is a 34-week Bible study, and it's a survey of the whole Bible, New Testament and Old Testament, and it's, you read pretty much all of the Bible. You learn how to use the Bible. You develop relationships. Uh, you become more aware of how to maybe give that information to others. So um, it's definitely about becoming more of a disciple. I see people more confident about their faith and talking about it and being able to relate in worship to what's going on. It uh, got me looking into some things that I would not have thought about uh, looking at and reading through it and wondered about things and gone back and did some research and, and uh, uh, it was, it's kind of interesting. The Bible uh, uh, is surprising. You can go back and look and study and turn around and go back again and say, wow, I didn't, uh, I didn't know that was there. <laughs> 34 weeks is a big commitment, and, and that's what a lot of people are very hesitant about. I just think that doing it in that time frame, that the, all 34 weeks, makes you so much more able to grasp the whole thing, get the big picture. If you want to grow, you have to study. You have to work at it. You have to study. You have to decide. It can't be just one-way street with God. I've got to really participate. And this makes you participate, and then you end up wanting to participate. If you're interested in learning about the Bible at all, it is a very, very excellent way uh, to do it.
great. All right. So, some of you have done Disciple Bible Study. If you have, could you just hold up your hand right where you are? Look at this. Look, I'm way to go. So don't take just those people's words for it. Ask some of these folks around you. We'll be starting the class uh, around Labor Day uh, again. My short take on that is the Disciple Bible Study is not about information. It's about transformation. You will be different people because you have encountered the speaking God through the words of the Bible and through this small group, this community that's living and praying with you. So, the Bible tells me so. What does the Bible tell you? Um, I was reading a story this past week of um, a missionary in Zimbabwe. His name is Gaylord Kambamari. And he was working with the Bible Society. So he was passing out Bibles to folks there one day he tried to give a, a man there a New Testament. Read this and you will find joy and meaning. I will not, said the man. And if you force it on me, I will use its pages to roll my cigarettes. Years later, this same man, uh, Kamabari, was in the audience. And that man that he gave the Bible to was also in the audience. He spotted him. The man said to Kamabari, 15 years ago, this man gave me a New Testament, and I warned him I would use its pages to roll cigarettes with. And so I did. I smoked my way through Matthew. <laughs> I smoked Mark and Luke as well. But when I got to John 3.16, I couldn't smoke anymore. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's the good news I have to share with you this day. Amen.